Welcome to the DFW Child Podcast, a place for local parents to tell their stories, share mom truths, and dig deeper into real issues, all while celebrating this crazy, challenging, beautiful journey called parenthood. Let's welcome our host, Brittany McElroy. Well, in some ways, it feels like the world has stopped during this pandemic. Big life events are still happening every day. Take Hannah Steiner, for example. It's like, it was a crazy time when you were born, but we just felt so at peace that you were finally ours. She was three states away from home adopting a newborn baby girl in March when all of a sudden the country started to shut down. It was total chaos when we showed up to the airport that morning because we had to wake up so early anyways to be there for a 7 a.m. flight. And to be prepared, the kind of preparation that goes into traveling anyway with kids. But then on top of that, having to travel with the pandemic in mind of do not touch anything. We'll hear more from Hannah a little later in the episode. Her new daughter will certainly have a story to tell about how she came home. This week on the DFW Child Podcast, we're talking about expanding your family, how COVID-19 is affecting pregnant moms, what you need to be aware of if you're thinking about trying to get pregnant right now, some tips on how you can support new moms, even if you can't be there in person, and how the pandemic has impacted the adoption process. Erin Murray grew up with a huge extended family, most of which lived right there in the same neighborhood as her. I actually grew up going to school with a bunch of her cousins, and honestly, sometimes forgot who actually belonged to which family. They were always together. <laughs> right? So, um, on my side of the family, my mom is one of, one of six, and my dad is one of three. We have, and then I have multiple cousins. I have 16 cousins on my mom's side of the family alone, and a lot of us all live in the in the Dallas Metroplex area. We're all in the area and we've all, I grew up together with my cousins and now all my cousins are having kids and um, all of them are growing up together. So we're very close and we see each other a lot. So when she had her daughter Eleanor two years ago, she had a lot of visitors. Expecting her son earlier this year, she assumed it would be the same until just a few weeks before she was supposed to have the baby. During the week of his due date was when the shelter in place was starting, so everything was changing. Um, the hospital policies had all, were all changing. Basically, by the day, I was having daily conversations with my doctor because the hospital had started limiting visitors, and then right before they limited it even further, we knew that it was going to be very limited going into the hospital. And then the other thing is, they were screening everybody going into the hospital. Um, as soon as you walked in, like making sure that nobody had any symptoms, making sure that no one had fevers. So um, the other thing is, while my husband could be there, um, if he had gotten any symptoms at all, he wouldn't have been allowed. So it was very important for us to, in that time leading up, we literally just stayed home, just me, my husband, my daughter, and we didn't go we didn't go anywhere just because we wanted to keep us all safe um, so that we could get through delivering our son and everything. While her parents kept her daughter during the delivery, they didn't even really see their families in person during the first month of her son Declan's life. 
I didn't want to catch the virus and especially I didn't want to pass it on to our um, brand new newborn son, you know, just as there were so many unknowns and everything. And then even coming home from the hospital. So it just, it completely changed because it was just us. It was, you know, us as a family of four, um, day to day from day one of when Declan was born. And it was just, it was just us at home, um, figuring out life and also just keeping away from everybody. I mean, even, you know, limiting, even going to the grocery store, my husband would go once every couple of weeks and we would be really careful and wipe down all of our groceries and just really limiting interaction with everybody. So it was a huge change for us, especially with having such a close family um, support that's normally around. And especially with this exciting time of bringing a new baby into the world, it was just, it was a really unique experience where we really didn't have that support to lean on. Look at you kicking and moving. We love you so much, Jacqueline. Since then, close family has met him while wearing masks and others have met him outdoors from a distance, but it certainly is not how Aaron imagined this time. And it's been a wild and crazy time for everybody, but definitely having a baby during all of this was, you know, just a crazy experience. There are some silver linings. Aaron's husband has been home a lot more than he otherwise would have been because of working from home. It's like good morning, Jacqueline. Is he waking up? No, we're up. And her daughter has really oh, embraced the role of big sister. He's in his cradle. But overall, she looks forward to a time when she can introduce Declan to those huge family gatherings. OBGYN Dr. Blake Frieden says lots of women like Aaron had to suddenly deal with changing expectations for how the birth of their babies would happen. And even four months into this health emergency, most of those measures are still in place. Some of the changes involve doctor's appointments leading up to the birth, like doing some visits over teleconference or telehealth instead of in person, and limiting interactions when they do have to come into the office. We try and keep them home as much as possible, but so much of pregnancy care really involves face-to-face -face and listening to the baby's heartbeat and checking their blood pressures. Some of the things can be done at home, but not always reliably, so we still keep them coming in. Um, while they're here, we're not seeing each other's facial expressions, obviously, because we're all masked. Other big changes have come in the hospital. Wearing masks, limiting it to one visitor, and if a mother does have COVID, sometimes separating her from her baby. Dr. Frieden says the influx of COVID patients in DFW has not affected him much because Medical City Dallas, the hospital where he delivers, has the maternity ward in a separate place from where COVID patients are seen. In other places, though, proximity to COVID cases might be more of a concern. He's also had to keep up with quickly evolving information. Early on in the pandemic, some studies suggested the virus didn't seem to affect pregnant women any worse than other people. Since then, though, other studies show that while pregnant women don't seem to be more likely to get it than anyone else, if they do, the respiratory symptoms can be worse than they otherwise would be. Doctors also suspect it could be a risk factor for preterm labor. 
slowly but surely as the as the infection became more pervasive we got more data and now we're seeing that it may it may be a difficult trial for a woman to be pregnant with covid he has had a few pregnant patients get COVID, but so far he says he's been lucky. None of the cases have become too serious. Still, with so much unknown, he tells all of his patients to take the virus very seriously. Very strict. With all my patients, pregnant or not, I say especially pregnant because it, it just seems like a common sense. You've got another condition going on, one that does um, affect lung capacity and how women breathe when they're pregnant. That's, that's the last person that needs to be around this. It's already, for some women, a stressful time to be pregnant or an uncomfortable time, and we don't want to add to that and, and certainly not risk any kind of preterm birth. So with all my patients, I'm saying please be very strict. Stay away from people. If you have to go out, you, you're the one that has to do the shopping, fine. Use a mask like we're all talking about. Sanity your hands and keep your hands away from your face. And by all means, stay away from public gatherings. If you're a pregnant woman who has to work, work. Hopefully, your work environment allows you to adhere to all the recommendations that, that OBGYN societies and CDC and the government has put into place because they're all right with those recommendations. They're correct. We should avoid close contact, avoid uh, being out without masks and around people without masks, and keep your hands clean. Dr. Jessica Shepard, also an OBGYN, agrees. She says it's sometimes hard to find a balance because she doesn't want to scare patients, but she also wants to stress that pregnant women should be cautious. A new study came out recently in the last two weeks, and what we saw in that study, they did a study retrospectively of women who were pregnant in New York City, which was an epicenter, and they looked back at their course uh, for women who were COVID positive. And what they did find is they did have an increase of respiratory uh, issues if they were to contact uh, COVID or coronavirus. And so, again, that goes to the decrease in the cardiovascular system and the respiratory system in pregnancy due to the compensation needed to carry a baby. And so we really had to take uh, heed to that, again, to make sure that our patients were safe, which, again, kind of, I guess, solidified that we were on the right track of decreasing face-to-face -face interaction, social distancing, making sure that we practice respiratory etiquette by wearing masks, and decreasing the amount of people that we had coming through the office. And also, the process that we found that changed a lot was during the delivery process. Uh, that required, again, for some people who were COVID positive to have them to be placed in um, isolation rooms, possibly being separated by their newborn child until we knew the result of the baby so we could make sure we gave the baby the adequate care that was needed. And then during the delivery process, wearing masks and also having the um, woman and their partner wearing a mask as well. So a lot of that changed and, it, you know, it may have taken an emotional toll on both providers and new moms and partners and babies as we changed that whole dynamic. But you know what, we've made it through and we will continue to take the safety measures that we need in order, again, to have a safe pregnancy. Frieden says making sure to take as many precautions as possible means things moms to be look forward to, like baby showers, just should not happen right now. Because there's really no way about around it. The, the in-person baby shower or group meetings, that can't be going on. That's just not a good idea. During pregnancy, I would do that on, on, a, on a device, and I would do that virtually. Um, and then it may be good for pregnant women to, if they don't already have friends who are pregnant at the same time, 
I bet you anything there are groups they could find online where they could just support each other that way. It's, it's great to hear from another pregnant woman when you're pregnant and share stories. He encourages friends and family to find ways to show their support from a distance, hosting a virtual baby shower, dropping things off at the front porch, or sending meals are all good alternatives. After the baby's born, he says it's probably okay for people who do not have symptoms and have not knowingly been exposed to see the baby outside from a distance, but that social distancing protocols still need to be followed. And no matter how badly you want to celebrate or see a new baby, do not pressure the parents or make them feel guilty for keeping a distance. They're trying to do what they think is best for their growing family. Dr. Frieden made a point to say women should not be afraid to deliver in a hospital, which he feels is the safest place to have a baby. Well, the safety of the hospital is excellent. I, would, I think it's one of the safest days I have is when I'm in my office or in the hospital because so much precaution is taken. I feel much safer here than at any store in any potential play group or, oh, do the kids want to try and have a distance date? No, none of that to me is as safe as a hospital. But advocates of home births and birthing centers say more women are trying to avoid hospitals because of the pandemic. Jean Sala, a certified nurse midwife who owns Inanna Birth Center in Denton, says a handful of patients actually transferred into her practice late in their pregnancies to avoid the hospital after COVID became a concern. And she's seen more interest in newly pregnant mothers looking for alternatives to the hospital right now. Like the hospitals, she is limiting visitors, but she thinks one of the biggest perks of a center like hers is that she will allow mothers to have a doula in addition to the one approved visitor, usually the partner or husband. I wanted to do something reasonable because I know that there is plenty of research that shows that when a woman has good support, if you use a doula, uh, in your labor, which is just a, a trained medical support person. They're very valuable. They do amazing things. But um, in the original uh, research study by Klaus and Kennel down in uh, Houston, uh, where I cut my teeth on obstetrics, um, anyway, they found a 50% lower chance of a cesarean. Sala has long been an advocate for out-of-hospital births and welcomes the increased interest in alternatives like her center. So that, that's what I really wish for families is to just be open-minded and to look and educate yourselves. And I also think that uh, women need to birth where and with whom they feel safe. All three of the medical professionals we talked to say women thinking about getting pregnant right now need to talk it through with their health care provider and make sure they understand all of the risks, both to their physical health and mental health. It's important they realize their partner might not be allowed at appointments, and if they do get COVID, it could pose serious threats to the health of them and their baby. We all know it's limited visitors. It's, it's special precautions. Um, if you have to work as a pregnant mom and your work environment is one that's highly exposed, that might be a time to say, let me wait and let's see what we can we can do for a while. All three said if you have other health issues like severe asthma, hypertension or diabetes, they definitely would not recommend getting pregnant right now. If they say were diabetic, they already had high blood pressure, then maybe Goodness sakes, I hope they wouldn't have heart disease because that's risky no matter what. But those sorts of things, um, when you uh, and you know you've got comorbidities and you're experiencing pregnancy, in that case, I probably would 
say, maybe you should wait until we at least get a vaccine for this. And they say you should take a serious look at the stability of your job. Are you at risk of losing it because of the pandemic? How would that affect your health insurance or your ability to financially support a new baby? If you have seriously considered all of those things, you are not otherwise considered high risk and you still think now is the right time to add to your family, or if you happen to get an unplanned surprise after failure to social distance, they all say go for it. For those who have a robust conversation with their OBGYN and know what's going to come with the journey and making sure that they have all of that kind of planned ahead in the sense that they know the things that may need to change or some of the precautions that may, they mean to take. And if they're ready for that, then absolutely. But then you also have most people have unplanned pregnancies, right? Most pregnancies are unplanned. And so that's what we're equipped for, you know, as physicians is to take care of people when they're in certain situations. And if someone gets pregnant, the more the merrier and we're ready for it. We, that's our job is to make sure we're at the top of our game when it comes to evidence-based medicine. And we'll do everything that we can to keep someone safe. You know, hang in there. It's, we'll get through this. Um, it, it's obviously a hard time amplified on top of what, what may already be a hard time. Um, follow the doctor's instructions. When in doubt, ask your doctor, but, but follow what you're hearing from, from health authorities as far as keeping yourself safe. We'll get through it, and it's worth it. It's hard work to be pregnant. It's hard. We'll get through it. And then you'll have your child, and we'll look back and remember these days and be stronger for it. Coming up after the break, the COVID-19 pandemic hasn't just changed the experience of biological parents. It's disrupted the adoption process as well. Have you ever wondered if your child has what it takes to be a model? Here's your chance to find out. Enter them into the DFW Child Magazine's Real Kids Casting Call, opening virtually in late August. This is your chance to be seen by multiple modeling agencies and earn a coveted spot as one of the DFW Child Magazine's cover model kids. Our agency partners look for babies and kids up to age 12, and it's open to everyone. This year's virtual casting call will support ilooklikelove.org, which provides mobile diaper pantries and mentorship for single moms in our community. Coming soon on dfwchild.com, and be sure to sign up for our newsletters for the latest up-to-date information regarding the Real Kids Casting Call. After a family vacation in May of 2018, Hannah and Corey Steiner decided they wanted to adopt a baby. A year later, they'd worked through the process and were ready to bring a third child into their home. So that was May 2019, and we started receiving anywhere from five to 10 cases a week where we would get an email about a birth mom who, this is her situation, this is, you know, maybe some exposure that she had had or something like that. And we could say yes or no. We had 24 hours to say yes or no. Um, and then she had anywhere from seven to 10 days to choose all of the families. So she would receive a profile book of families to choose from. And she would look through these books to figure out who she wanted to raise her child. They had already had two failed placements, including one where they had traveled to the hospital and met what they thought would be their new baby. We were so excited and we, I mean, brought her to the hospital, went through labor and delivery, and then she changed her mind and chose to parent. 
And so that was really challenging. And we championed her into motherhood and we're excited for her because we had fallen in love with her. Um, but we also, it was just really hard to come back empty handed. So that happened last July. And then we were matched with twins um, five weeks later. And then two weeks later that fell through. And so we just were on this emotional roller coaster, really. So when the call came in March that their third placement, the baby girl they had hoped and prayed for for so long was making her way into the world a few weeks earlier than expected, they were thrilled to pack up their two boys and jump on a plane to Utah. I had no idea what was in all of the suitcases that we brought, but we were just like, go, we have to pack right now. We have to get to the, we have to get to the hospital. They arrived and met their new daughter, Tressie. They spent the next 10 days helping to care for their daughter's birth mom, going to court to finalize the adoption process, and living in that newborn haze of sleep deprivation and bliss. They had the news on in the background occasionally, but Hannah had no idea how big of a deal COVID-19 was going to be. Her first hint that this was something she should really be concerned about came about a week after the birth when they were supposed to meet the birth mother and a woman from the adoption agency for lunch. About an hour before lunch, Sandy from the agency said, I have too many high-risk children. I really just can't risk it. I want to abide by what the regulations are, or maybe the suggestions at that point. I don't think they were regulations. And we didn't understand the gravity of it really. So I respected, you know, that she had probably been watching the news way more than we did and understood so much more. So I was just like, okay, that's, that's fine. And then when we show up, I forget what restaurant we even went to. We show up at this restaurant and we were like, literally the only people in the entire restaurant. And I mean, it's a pretty busy town where we were. So it wasn't like, that was a normal thing. It was like a Chili's or Applebee's. I can't remember exactly. Oh, it was Outback. We went to Outback and there was no one else in the whole restaurant. It was just an eerie feeling that I was like, should we be here? And so the whole time we're at lunch, we're holding our newborn who was weighing five pounds. She was so tiny. And I just felt like, should we be here? I don't know if this is safe. I don't know if this is a good idea. A few days later, the day before her now family of five was supposed to get on a plane to head back to Texas, she started to get nervous about the trip home. We went all over to try to find cleaning products just to be able to clean our spots on the airplane and we couldn't find any. So that was another level of like, okay, how big is this spinning out? We don't, yeah, we didn't know. And on March 13th, the same day the White House declared COVID-19 a national emergency, she and her husband got their seven-year-old, five-year-old and newborn baby to the airport and onto a plane. If flying with three kids is not stressful enough, they had to keep them from touching anything and try to keep their distance from other travelers. It was total chaos when we showed up to the airport that morning. And then we found, I think the night before, my husband had found the last two packs of disinfectant wipes that were in, he had gone to like four different stores and he found two. And so I wiped the screens down behind the seat in front of my kids and their seat belts. And the flight was really, really empty too. So even that, it was just an eerie feeling around all of it. To top it all off, Hannah knew they were headed home to a house with no toilet paper. It was on her grocery list, but remember, Tressie came earlier than expected. And we all know, suddenly, toilet paper became a hot commodity. 
Luckily, they had great friends who knew they would not be able to see baby Tressie, but still wanted to show the Steiners how excited they were for them. And they showed that love in the form of TP. And we had such sweet friends that came and surprised us and brought like frozen meals and put it in our freezer while we were on our way home that day. And they also dropped off just loads of toilet paper at our front door. And they didn't know that we were so bone dry of toilet paper, but just knowing like, okay, everyone else is freaking out here in the, you know, Metroplex and shopping like crazy. You can't be here and you have a newborn. So they took care of that for us. So we're really grateful for that. It took a few months before they felt comfortable even having close family come to visit. Tressie still has not met a lot of their friends, but it took so long and so much heartache to get her here. They've mostly just been thankful to have lots of time to spend together as a family of five. I couldn't even let my heart go there or my mind to go there to focus on that because I'm like, we have fought for her for, you know, two years now and have just wanted so badly for our daughter to be home and for our family to feel more whole. And so now that she is here, it's like, it was a crazy time when you were born, but we just felt so at peace that you were finally ours. While the pandemic certainly affected Hannah and her family, they had already finalized the adoption before it was declared a national emergency. Other families still going through the process have seen what can already feel like a long process get a little longer. Ashley Whiteside, who works for the Gladney Center for Adoption, has had to help people keep things like medical records and criminal background checks up to date at a time when that can be difficult. Most doctors were saying, we're not going to take you during this time unless it's a, unless you believe you have corona or anything like that. If it's just a regular medical appointment, we're not doing it. Um, so there were... You know, a lot of criminal uh, background offices also closed. In the state of Texas, there's about 125 um, places to go get your background checked, and it went down to 52. And so, you know, there's these also, and we require families to have CPR, and it can't be a, a it can't be a virtual CPR. It has to be CPR with dummies. That's what licensing says. It has to be in the classroom. Well, that people started saying there's no way I can get that done. Um, we also have, you know, obviously we work with people in all different states. And so variations of lockdowns, our families in California were saying, we can't get at, like, we aren't leaving our homes. Um, it was interesting when we started, uh, when all of this kind of started, we had about seven families in New York that were ready to start their home study process. And it, I felt deeply saddened for them. I mean, in a process that probably would have taken them a month, got extended by three to four months um, because we just couldn't get the process done for them. And they're still kind of in limbo. For people who were done with that part of the process, they had to create documents to make sure they could travel to be there for the births of their new adoptive babies. Then one or both of the adoptive parents often were not allowed to be at the birth because most hospitals have limited it to just one visitor. But Ashley says every step of the way, they've gotten creative, and she has been so impressed by the positivity she's seen from the families she works with. People are figuring it out. They've been awesome. People um, have not let this stand in their way. And so while sometimes they're cautious about it and um, think a little think through every scenario probably more than they ever would. 
Um, but people are jumping on planes and people are still saying, are so dedicated to the process and are so dedicated to their, their expectant mom um, that they are kind of refusing for this this pandemic to kind of get in the way of, of this situation. And so people have been amazingly creative and just make it happen. Another big factor, private adoptions are expensive. A domestic adoption through Gladney cost $55,000 and lots of people have found themselves with financial insecurities right now. And we've been offering as much flexibility as possible. So we've gotten calls of people saying, I've been furloughed. And, you know, is it possible that we can still move forward and, and pay that payment that we know is due, but we, can we push that payment back? And we're, we've said yes to everything. Yes, yes, yes. Do you need to make a different pay schedule? You know, some families are saying, I can't pay this large chunk right now. Can we do it in smaller amounts? Yes. Um, so we're making all the accommodations that we can because we know we, we would hate for this to slow down their process of becoming a family just because we know that they're trying to financially stay afloat. We don't want to be a burden to them. In addition to more flexible payment plans, they've helped families look into their scholarship fund, grants, or other creative fundraising ideas. Certain things like home study visits still have to happen in person. And not everyone has felt comfortable with that, but the longer the pandemic goes on, the more the agency has figured out how to work around problems that come up because of it. Trainings that used to happen in person have been moved online. Meetings between birth mothers and adoptive parents are now happening on Zoom. While domestic adoptions might be a bit delayed, they are for the most part happening in much the same way they had before. Jennifer Lanter, who is the vice president of communications for Gladney, says international adoptions, on the other hand, have gotten significantly more complicated because of travel bans. Gladney has seen some families who planned an international adoption make the decision to go the domestic route instead. But for families who have already gone through the process and been matched with a child, this has been incredibly frustrating. We do have um, a few families um, that were in process in China and they were about to go they were about to go have placement of their children and that's not happening right now. So they're getting updates and letters and, um, and thankfully all the children are still healthy. Like the, you know, children are not being as impacted as adults in this. And so there's nothing scary happening in the orphanages right now that we're aware of anyway. And so um, those families are, they are going through a hard time because what was about to happen is now kind of postponed indefinitely. Um, we think that it will happen for them. It's just a matter of when. They are working for solutions on the issues surrounding international adoptions and travel bans too. The agency says it is dedicated to still making these families complete even if it takes a little longer than planned. Despite the challenges life and a pandemic brings, overall Gladney has actually seen a slight uptick in the number of families interested in adopting. While they don't have any scientific evidence to support this, the staff at Gladney told me they think when people have taken a step back, slowed down their life a bit, and looked around their house right now, they've realized they're ready for something more. And they think that when you're ready to grow your family, whether through your own pregnancy or adoption, most people will find a way to do that, even in the midst of a global pandemic. You wanna come see him? Come see him. <laughs> Who is that? Is that Declan? 
Can you say hi, Declan? That's your baby brother. We also want to note that a lot of people have seen their fertility treatments canceled or delayed at some point because of COVID-19, which is another way expanding your family has been affected during this time. While we didn't cover that in depth in this episode, we want to say that we see you and we know the emotional toll of that can make what is already a difficult time even harder. There are more articles talking about pregnancy, the effects of COVID on kids, and keeping your family safe on dfwchild.com. Next week, we are talking about one of the most controversial issues brought about by the COVID pandemic, the reopening of schools. We hope you'll join us as we sort through lots of different perspectives and talk about how to make the best of some of your options as we head into a new school year that will look anything but normal. Be sure to follow DFW Child on Facebook and Instagram so we can continue the conversation and check out the helpful parenting resources on dfwchild.com. Until next time.